Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Welcome to Cisco Champions Radio. This is episode 17 of our second season. Our topic today is cloud, intercloud, metacloud, ubercloud, uber lots of cloud. I'm Kim Austin, and I'll be playing the part of moderator. We're set with a for a lively conversation with Peter Ulander at Cisco. So, Peter, can you tell us who the heck you are? <laughs> sure. <clears throat> Kim, good to see you again. Uh, my name is Peter Ulander. I'm the vice president of go-to-market strategy for our cloud services business here at Cisco. Um, that basically means that I work with all of the various partners from service providers to cloud builders to resellers, uh, et cetera, um, around what we're doing from a cloud perspective and how we can do it better. That sounds good. I hear you have a um, you bought the domain for something related to cloud before anybody else got to it. That was a long time ago. Yeah, about um, six, seven years ago, uh, as part of a small company, we were doing we, – we actually – we, we turned into a company that built some of the world's largest clouds out there. Uh, the, the domain I bought was cloud.com. Uh, so that, they, you know, from, from my purview of being a lazy marketer, I couldn't have done a better job with regards to um, uh, uh, brand capture and, and, and web traffic with a top-level domain like that. So, um, yeah, no, it's good times. <laughs> good times. Cool good. stuff. So Peter kind of has a, a background in figuring out maybe that cloud was important. Um, but I'm going to call you on something that you wrote in CIO Magazine a couple of years ago. You said that enterprises don't need a cloud computing strategy. Oh, you going to stand by that? Absolutely. You know, the thing is, I think this is where we make mistakes as uh, technologists and, and where we make mistakes on talking to customers. Um, we always like to, you know, take your favorite buzzword. You need a container strategy, a cloud strategy, a big data strategy, a, this strategy, or that strategy. That's like saying, you know, I need a, a breakfast strategy to manage my weight. No, you need an entire nutrition strategy. And that's the same thing with regards to um, uh, CIOs. I think the biggest mistake uh, CIOs can make is to have a cloud strategy and build it in isolation. They need to look at their overarching IT strategy and identify how cloud fits into that. And that's that's kind of what I was what I meant from um, uh, from from that article back in in gosh that must have been six years ago. Um, and you know even today there's a uh, there, there's a, a recent IDC study that shows that 95% of private cloud implementations fail. And that's because you're not looking at it from the right perspective. We're either trying to move too much of our IT into the cloud, where we're not looking at what's the right workloads to onboard, uh, we're not understanding how to operate it, we're not understanding XYZ. And then when, you, when, you, when it gets down to it, you ask, well, why the hell did you build it to begin with? Well, because I thought I needed a cloud. So, you know, that, that's, that's case in point. No, you don't need a cloud. You need an IT strategy. And then you find the right ways that cloud fits in. And cloud will come in multiple fashions, whether it's um, uh, a service, 
um, a set of infrastructure tools that you can run, um, or something that you actually operate your data center with behind the firewall. That's where this stuff kind of uh, kind of kind of fits. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and Perkzilla, for his point, says he makes a lot of ladies swoon calling himself a uh, cloud strategist. So. <laughs> yeah, you know, hey, if if you got to keep the title, there's no reason why you can't. But uh, you know, I think uh, ultimately, being a cloud strategist in an IT world is probably the the right way of doing it. There you go. So you're on the right track there, pal. All right, so that that's good strat. I mean, that's that makes a whole lot more sense than uh, I think a lot of what we hear about in from the rest of the world about cloud um, being the end-all be-all of the entire universe. But so let's talk about the future. And just a level set, we're talking a lot about digitization. And I had to practice saying that a few times before um, we recorded this. Uh, what do we mean when we talk about that? We're mm -hmm. saying it a lot at Cisco, but what do we mean when we say digitization? And it's not just Cisco talking about this. I mean, you know, uh, I've seen all the tweets and the blogs out there. I mean, the reality is a job. So, so back to your buddy who talks about being the cloud strategist. I think uh, you know the next generation of uh, the admirable position is this chief digital officer, which is showing up in a number of different organizations out there. Um, that doesn't mean that the, this is a guy with a lot of digits. Uh, that just means that this guy is responsible for you know a full effectively moving from analog to digital. Uh, with regards to business process and business enablement. And, you know, we can look at this a, a number of different ways. Um, a lot of organizations, uh, whether you're a, a classic company like a Coke um, or, or, you know, a Walmart um, to, to even, you know, the Facebooks and the Googles of the world, we are turning to the fact that everyone and everything of value is connected to the network. It is emitting uh, a, not only a digital footprint, but is, it is accessing and contributing data that is tracking where you are, what you're doing, who you are, what your preferences are, et cetera. We're, we're, we're getting more and more information um, real time um, about individuals, about things, about trends, about what have you. And the more you can access and harness that data, the better decisions you can make um, uh, from, a, from a business perspective. So this goes to that point that we're seeing more and more organizations, regardless of where they are or what sector they're in, they're becoming software organizations because they're trying to find ways to not only capture all of this digital information, but, but build it into the decision-making real-time, and in some cases it goes as far as to be automated. Um, and and it, it becomes very much that competitive weapon that someone needs in a in a fast growing world. So so I think that's when we talk about the digital disruption, that is looking at 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 um, uh, you know all the ways that we can use um, a digital footprint or a digital fabric to actually be really smart about being business. That doesn't necessarily mean that everybody needs to be an Uber or or. or um, uh, or an Airbnb, but I mean, to the point that we've seen that la that latest meme go around the um, uh, around the internet, right? Uh, you know, Airbnb, the world's largest hoteler, doesn't own a single piece of property, or or Uber, the world's largest transportation company, doesn't own a single car. This is about how do you use information, digital, um, uh, you know, digital artifacts to basically create a business process that delivers services to users. Okay. A lot of so, 
pretty buzz free. But so how is that driving the next revolution of cloud? Yeah, it's, um, well, it's got to be built on something. Um, so uh, this is where I wish the show had a little bit of a, the ability to show slides sometimes. And, and this, you is, know, this is this is the test for real Cisco people to this, not this have analog, slides. Yeah, no slides. And it's not so much that, you know me, I hate slides to begin with, but sometimes it helps to, to draw a picture. So think about what's happening um, with regards to this whole vision of everything of value gets connected to the network. Fifteen years ago, everything was done in the data center. Even from a hosted perspective, it was still you know isolated data center per business, and you know the only people that gained access to those systems were sysadmins, and the packaged applications were exactly that: packaged applications with massive limitations. Um, virtualization came around with the first push of saying, "Hey." We're going to um, uh, uh, we're going to use this to get more efficiency out of these boxes, but it was still very much sysadmin focused. And then a, a you know a group of guys 12 years ago, really smart out of Seattle, Washington, goes, "Hey, now that we have virtual resources or infrastructure as code, can we do something to turn on a utility model?" And thus the cloud was born. Um, but you know. It, all they did was they, they took physical servers and managed them virtually, and they took what was the sysadmin domain and you know enabled developers to go write things. But we were still kind of managing virtual machines. Fast forward to today, and you hear all these concepts of things like containers and, and um, DevOps and, and, and IOE and uh, you know et cetera, et cetera. What's happening is more intelligence and more capabilities are being pushed out to the edges of the network. And we've moved from a, an environment where you have 100,000 sysadmins accessing a system to hundreds of millions of developers and devices, hundreds of billions of devices connecting and using um, uh, information and services and, and the, the likes online. Well, that fabric or that grid is basically what is powering this whole concept of, of digitization, right? It, it, it is information, real time, being pushed closer to the edge where the transaction transaction power, the power of the transaction can happen, um, et cetera. But as you do that, you also have to become more automated. Um, and it's no longer about VMs, it's about microservices. And it's no longer about a data center, it's about a distributed environment. And it's no longer about on-prem, off-prem, it is about just being. That actually is very much uh, what you could consider Cloud 2.0 to be. Cloud 2, Cloud 1.0 while it was VMs, it was still very much a distributed architecture for building a number of services for people. Cloud 2.0 is this distributed architecture that is building these things or building application services and information for things. Um, so I think there's a, there's a huge overlap between how do you empower a digital uh, enterprise um, using compute as a resource and services as a resource that just happen to be delivered across a broader spectrum. Does that make, I mean, does that make sense? I mean, uh, that's the best I could do without the slide. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good without a slide. Um, so is that where all these uh, terms like bimodal IT, hyper-distributed, uber-distributed, no. cat-distributed, I mean, is that cloud 2.0 or is what? No, that, that's, just, uh, that's just an analyst firm trying to make some money. Um, it's a lot so, of new words and syllables, so, you know. That's, it is, but it isn't. Analyst firms are good at that. You know, you know the best part is, and I mean, if 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 this is a bunch of engineers, they 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 know this this term, right? So when we had the evolution, shoot, ten years ago, 
we talked about scale up versus scale out. Well, what was that? Scale up was your big multi SMP system. Scale out was a friggin' web server farm. Well, extend that to today. Same thing, by modal. You're going to have big ERP systems and big financial systems and Oracle, uh, uh, Oracle uh, databases and the likes. They haven't gone away. There's still a big need for that. That's your classic data center architecture. But when you think about you know, these new apps, when you get out to the edges, you don't have the luxury of having a multi, you know, a big SMP system in a, in a three-tiered architecture sitting in your, in your connected light bulb. You're getting, you're, you're getting lighter weight uh, compute resources um, distributed together where, you know, it's completely disaggregated or deconstructed the, uh, the compute network and storage. And new applications are being built to say, I'm going to use these resources I'm going to schedule these resources um, and to run my application done real time in a more automated fashion. It's just a smarter way of running a, a pizza box is what the, the hyperscale is. And it's done in a way where pizza boxes were managed by people while the new environment is, 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 is fully, fully automated in many ways. And that's where you're starting to hear terms like mesos, right? Uh, what is mesos? It's just a smarter, it's, a, it's like cron, but built for a new environment. Um, you know, it's, it's a scheduler that basically helps you, you go harness the power of distributed resources to run the jobs that you need to run to get the data and information that you need to go do. And then what are containers? Hey, containers are a way to make sure that you're not so dedicated to a physical architecture and you have a truly portable application that can run, you know, literally anywhere. That is a new architecture which people are talking about, whether you want to call it Uber distributed, hyperscale, cloud scale, web scale, what it, what have you. This is where we're seeing a lot of new apps being built. Twitter built it this way. Google built it this way. Facebook, Uber, Airbnb. They all build things in this new paradigm where the server is no longer what we would consider a server. It's just a set of microservices that are being leveraged on demand in order to go do whatever the job at hand might be. Bimodal says... You're still going to have that old data center stuff, and people still buy that. Um, the, the, that's, that's the first mode. The second mode of a bimodal is you're going to have this new architecture for distributed apps running in a lightweight paradigm, and that's that new stuff that we just talked about. Now those syllables make more sense. Not really. <laughs> Outside of the fact that the IT companies or the, 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 the analysts are finding ways to coin it so that they can... They can, they can, you know, help. I mean, the, the, the thing is, I guess they, they do kind of make sense. The reality is, uh, back to the you need an IT strategy, unfortunately, uh, sometimes CIOs will lump everything into one thing and one architecture solves for all. And, and the, the reality is that's not true. And so we have to come up with ways that help people understand that, you know, there is a scale-up or a scale-out or a, um, uh, a traditional data center or, or web-scale data center. And, and that's where I think a lot of these things come from. Okay. So would you say um, virtualization and orchestration enabled cloud 1.0 and automation and containerization uh, enabled cloud 2.0? That's a good way of putting it, yeah, and microservices, right? So it's not just containerization, but it's that API economy where everything gets deconstructed down into services that you can run. I mean, you know this well being on the collaboration side. You could sell a full stack like we do at Cisco, or you could sell a lightweight service like Twilio does that enables a whole new different type of ecosystem. You know, both are very, very relevant in the marketplace. Both solve different types of needs, and I think, you know, 
cloud 2.0 is you know brings in those that, that that API economy for microservices that enable people to innovate and customize based on what they need to do. Cool. Obviously, that question didn't actually come from me. That's all right. Because I'm I don't wear shoes with laces because I can't tie them. So, intercloud. How does that and why do we think intercloud is the answer? I mean, how does it get us to all that space faster, so I, better? I guess the first thing, yeah, the, the first thing is to understand what is intercloud and where are we going? Why in the world are we building our own cloud? You know, um, intercloud itself, while it wasn't called intercloud, actually started about five, six years ago. And why did it start? Well, you know what? We needed a cloud strategy too, right? And, and we needed to understand how that fit in our IT strategy. Because of the fact that we cloud was driving a lot of these new enablers, we had teams, whether it was a collaboration team or the security team or the Meraki team or you know what have you, all of which recognized that enterprises were requiring cloud services with regards to how they wanted to consume, but we also recognized that cloud was a great way of developing, prototyping, and building without, without incurring a massive capital investment. And so we have a lot of initiatives that are cloud-ready or cloud-built. I mean, WebEx is a great example, being one of the largest cloud properties out there. But as an organization, we didn't have any consistency in tooling and, and resource management and cost management across all of that stuff. So um, Rebecca, Super smart. Uh, she, Rebecca Jacoby, our, our uh, what is she? She's our CIO. Um, you know, really smart. Says, hey, we need to make sure that we're consolidating down and having a single architecture that we can leverage in the public and private domain that enables us to have consistent tooling, consistent performance, manage expectations, and by the way, insert things around privacy, security, um, uh, control, uh, because we're, we're we're serving to the enterprise, and I can't get that in the general public cloud. And so that was how the intercloud journey started. We were building something for our own assets. Today it's morphed because a lot of our service providers, they recognized, hey, we would love to be able to run Cisco assets. We also believe that the, the cloud is ready for a transformation in that, you know, Enterprises do require things that are more secure or have more capabilities built into them that are, are enterprise-led features. We also built in the fact that this would be something that would run in private data centers and public data centers, the whole hybrid stuff. So we were moving down this path of really kind of painting the right picture. Now, where's the next step? It's not about rebuilding the data center or rebuilding the cloud. It's around building a platform for what we believe is a huge opportunity for Cisco, and that's the uh, the the Internet of Everything, right? So so back to that 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 statement. If everything of, of value is getting connected to the network and compute um, and and information is getting driven further and further out at the edges, the ability to have a platform that extends not only you know out at Cisco's data centers but across our entire service pro provider um, uh, uh, ecosystem, we can effectively build the platform for IOE and, and digitization. And I think that's the evolution of, of, of InterCloud and how we got to today. Still there, Kim? We got some dead air. Ah, that sounds pretty kind of take over the world stuff. Yeah. But so, but we're not doing, we're not doing this all <clears throat> on our own or trying to do it all on our own or actually maybe take over the entire cloud universe because there's OpenStack. So where are we with that? 
Well, I mean, OpenStack is uh, so <laughs> OpenStack is a great project, right? This is where you get you know literally a number of vendors solving for very hard problems, whether it's uh, dealing with uh, schedulers for managing compute network and storage, to uh, you know how do you go deliver network as a service, um, to how you build these these frameworks for how people can build their own cloud. And we've we've chosen OpenStack as being one of the many components that we build into help us realize that um, uh, that inner cloud vision. So where are we? We're at, you know, obviously we're an active member of the OpenStack community and spend a significant amount of uh, time and resource getting engineers leading certain PTLs and, and, and working across um, all the different projects that you have inside of OpenStack. But we also use it for a lot of our products. So when you, when you are a platform. So when you think about the data centers, we are um, bringing online uh, with our intercloud vision, they're all running a core level of OpenStack that we've we've used to be our, our orchestration engine for that stuff. We also recognize that you know enterprises want to build their own private cloud, getting that Amazon-like capability behind the firewall, this new developer-like environment. So we took a, an acquisition we made um, six months ago with MetaCloud, based on OpenStack. In fact, these guys came from OpenStack and Ticketmaster, um, and you know, we effectively built a uh, Cisco OpenStack private cloud appliance that integrates software, hardware, and services that enables an enterprise to get up and running um, with a private cloud quickly for developing in this new paradigm of of, um, uh, of kind of you know digitization, if you will. So there's a lot of things with regards to Cisco and OpenStack engaged in the project, building architecture and, and the intercloud platform around that stuff, as well as extending to a number of private cloud uh, efforts around OpenStack. And it's, it's, it's been good for the company. Cool. Sounds like it's supposed to be good for customers, too, or not just customers, but our peers. So um, our swoon-causing cloud strategist has a good question. So distribution's great, but how do you maintain security controls across different providers? And more important, how do you prove to the customer that their controls are being maintained? Yep. So intercloud, that's that's the key thing here. Um, when we talk about intercloud, and specifically our alliance partners, uh, while we are partnering with companies like DT and, and, and um, Telstra in order to go build out that footprint, we own the gear. We operate the gear. It's to the Cisco standard. So we know for a fact exactly what security and policy protocols are built in. We know exactly, you know, um, uh, where they are from a deployment perspective, um, and we take an active role in in managing the overarching system. That same thing is happening from a from a meta cloud perspective. It's not about dropping a bunch of boxes off and and hoping to God that the the customer can build this stuff. This is about taking a validated OpenStack design with all of that security policy and control built into it, driving the integration into the enterprise so that it, it complies with what they need, and then we're managing that system for the enterprise. So, so taking that role that goes beyond uh, building a cloud, but actually managing and operating the cloud is, is how we can ensure that um, we meet all of the, uh, the, the requirements that we need to, to hit the enterprise SLAs that we're coming to market with. So enterprise SLAs and the SLAs that you provide as Cisco are great, but you know when we talk about you know SOCs, we talk about HIPAA and all these other audits that a lot of our customers are required to meet and are required to maintain. How do I go to a provider 
go to Cisco and say, hey, I'm getting audited. I need to know what the controls are for this, 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 and this. Is there a mechanism for you to provide? Absolutely. So uh, specifically on those things, right, because, I mean, you pointed out two SOX, uh, you know, SOX compliance and, and HIPAA compliance, and, you know, you got your FedRAMP uh, compliance and about 75 different other things that we got to go do. And, and that gets even worse when we go into some of the international markets when you're dealing with uh, data domain and data sovereignty in areas like um, uh, Australia or the fact that you, you know, on property know exactly where the data is when you, when you get into Germany. We, uh, at Cisco, um, we, we recognize that we're not going to have all of the compliance down day one, so we are creating record and documentation around which, um, uh, which efforts of compliance that were, or which things we're complying with, um, and all of that basically is, is made available to customers as they come on board. So as they get audited and they need to basically demonstrate that we achieved uh, HIPAA compliance, um, if this is something that we've gone and done, we also make that available to the customer. So you mentioned FedRAMP, which is near and dear to my heart. Is that something that you guys are hoping to be compliant with day one? We, uh, not day one, um, but very shortly after, right? So, so we've been, you know, as you know, Cisco is a very strong um, uh, position in the public sector, and um, the federal government is going to be absolutely critical for us as we start rolling this stuff out. So we're going through the process around the FedRAMP requirements um, and how we, we make sure that we get to that as soon as as soon as soon physically possible in order to do that. Part of it, just being candid, um, is uh, we are still working with, so I've got the name partners in say Australia and, and in, um, in, in Germany. Uh, in the States, we've been working with a couple of partners and it really comes down to, you know, not only making sure we have the compliance, but they've also got to be able to solve for supplying the government with those uh, with those capabilities. Does that cover it for you? Silence is consent. I'm good. All right. What else do you guys need to know? Peter answers questions pretty well. <laughs> I'm sure he'd rather get them from you than me because I'll start asking about it. I'm always accused of being too transparent, but I'm not going to feed you a, a line, what I'll, what I'll do is, you know, normal case, I'll tell you what, what, what I know, and if I don't know it, I'll go get it for you. So well, that's nice thing, it doesn't make it up. So We've already uh, been banned from asking roadmap. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a question. So you talk a lot, of, you talked about containerization uh, in 2.0. Uh, you know that's that's not just a code change, right? That's a business process change. What is it, it, how is Cisco doing two things? Number one, how are you enabling partners to help customers understand that it's not a light switch to flip from you know cloud 1.0 to cloud 2.0? And then what services is Cisco looking to provide? Um, uh, I know specifically around MetaCloud some of the services that you're offering, but but the 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 services that bridge the gap between you know, traditional data center or cloud 1.0 and this cloud 2.0 world. Yeah, and, and so so I use uh, the cloud 1.0 and 2.0. You know, it, it's not like it's a stair step thing, right? It's it's not one goes away. Maybe right. maybe my cloud one and cloud two wasn't wasn't the best way of, of phrasing it. The thing is, you know, we're doing a lot of work with companies on that onboarding. Um, and onboarding classic and legacy apps into into a cloud-like model, uh, technologies like 
um, uh, intercloud fabric actually help with that. Um, uh, basically, you know, moving or, or placement, I guess, would be the placement and onboarding is the best way to describe uh, that stuff as a secure placement between legacy workload and, and the new. We also work with partners like River Meadow and, and Hotlink and, and Lights in order to do that. That's one model, right, that we absolutely support. That's the old managing a VM type model. Uh, that doesn't go away. Um, and, and in fact, it represents probably 90% of the cloud today with regards to where workloads are and how enterprises are working stuff. When we talk about containerization and PaaS, you know, this gets to the Cloud Foundry, the Kubernetes, the CoreOS, all of these new things. It's, it's not even so much that it's a business process or a code change. This is a developer process, how people are basically innovating. And it represents the, the green field of how people are stepping back and saying, okay, if this resource or this architecture is available to me, what can I come up with to you know, build the, the next great things? You're not going to take your Oracle financials and move it into this by saying, I'm gonna do Oracle financials in a container. That, that doesn't make any sense. What you're gonna, you know, so, so the new is more around developer services, understanding how microservices can be accessed and written to. What is the API model for, for what um, you know, Cisco is delivering, not only within our cloud, but across all of the services that we're building in. Because by the way, we do deliver collaboration APIs, security APIs, IOE APIs, all that stuff in the cloud. In order for us to drive that, that's an educational and a developer evangelism and an engagement model whereby, you know, that, that, that is new to Cisco, but it's something that you're seeing us build more and more of. We've got some of it in DevNet today. We're gonna get more extended around that within our BUs and bring the experts into the space to, to start you know, better documentation and better engagement with the community. And you're going to see just us light up an application developer channel um, from, from all of our partner programs in order to go do that. And I think that's gonna be critical step one beyond uh, you know, what's the right payload and what's the business process change or things like that. It, it is, you know, it, it's a fundamental shift in how people develop. And in order to do that, we've gotta build the right developer programs for that. Got it. Thank you. Sure. What else? More questions. Yeah. What should the people on this call be focusing on to, if you if you if you had an idea of what they should focus on for their organizations to move forward, what would you tell them their next step should be? You know, so, so I think it depends on where you are from a cloud adoption and what you're trying to go do, right? So, you know, we we just came back from um, uh, Partner Summit uh, this last week in, in Montreal. And, you know, partners, um, and this, this ranges from big resellers to providers to integrators to developers and the likes, they all had some very similar questions, which is, you know, how do we go about doing things like, um, uh, you know, helping our customers make that transition to the cloud. We launched seven professional services, right? And I normally don't like to use that term because that you know, reminds me of a different type of a model. But what we're doing is we're looking at all of the best practices that we have across our customer engagements or packaging them up from a tools perspective so people can go see. So in some cases, we've got people that just even want to know what in the world is my business doing from a cloud perspective. We have a cloud assessment tool. It sounds crazy, but we ran it inside of Cisco. You know, if you were to go back to, to Becky, Rebecca, 
If you were to ask Becky, hey, how much cloud do you think we're using? She'd give you a number. I'll just use the, I'll just say 10 for the time being. We're using 10 cloud services, and I know this because I have a rigid audit, blah, 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 blah. Well, we ran this tool, and we went, well, Becky, you actually have 115, not 10. That tends to be pretty consistent with a lot of customers out there. They don't even know where they're running cloud or how they're running cloud to even start that conversation. So that's an area where we, we, we definitely are trying to help people understand you know, how they can engage with, with their organizations and the likes on cloud. I think there's the new conversation that is that digitization, the containerization, the, um, you know, what are these new tools and sorts. To me, that's like, you know, get engaged in DevNet. Understand what's coming and where, and, you know, know that this is going to be a big push for us, especially here on this, this crowd, um, on this call. If you're a developer or a technical guy and you want to see where the architectures are going and what we're doing and what we're, what we're supporting, that's a great stepping stone into seeing what's coming before it actually becomes live from a public perspective. So I'd say get engaged there. Um, and then I think as, as we're bringing InterCloud live, um, uh, you know, Cisco Live becomes a really big, uh, 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 comes a pretty big um, uh, point where, where people can start seeing those services, the ones I'm not allowed to talk about, the, uh, the roadmap stuff. You'll start to see a lot of that stuff become very real at, at Cisco Live, and that'll be a way for a lot of these guys to, to go start engaging with the practices because they'll be very application or business specific with, with some cool technology stuff underneath that you can go start playing with. So if you're going to Cisco Live, you get to play with it. We'll make it all available. Cisco Live, you have to stare at it online. Oh, no, no. We'll make a lot of this stuff. I mean, that's the thing with the cloud, right? It is it is virtual resource that's available. So we'll make a lot of this stuff available um, through all of the core programs. That's why DevNet is super important. Kim, stop being so snarky. Okay, well, fine. They won't see Aerosmith in person. <laughs> that could be a good thing. We can see if Steven Tyler is really alive or if he's a cloud-delivered hologram. Yeah. That was Stephen Hawking last week, actually. Okay. All right. By the way, I haven't received my Cisco Cloud Champion uh, uh, pass for free for free Cisco Live pass yet. You, do you need to check my email to make sure that you got it right? Rachel? Rachel will follow up with you. I got nothing. <laughs> Your cloud pass. No, my so can, free, no, my live pass. I'm gonna go. I I just uh, pay for it. I thought as a champion uh, we got in. Yeah, because yeah, because they give us the budget for that. Oop, did I say that out loud? That's not roadmap, is it? No. Okay. Anybody else have some good questions? other than can I give you a free pass to Cisco Live? I think that was an important question. Well, if you can um, grow a little kind of goatee thing and get some good new glasses, you could impersonate Peter. Hey, now. I have a goatee. I'm bald. Oh. Peter, are you bald? Nope. <laughs> Peter, shave your head, please. Yeah, shave your head, please. <laughs> I don't think we're going to get him to do that. No, it's going to take a lot. I don't think his wife would go for that. This kid would have nothing to hold on to. <laughs> All right. Rachel does not have a goatee, but she wants to see a, a path, too. Well, she so wants to tell us, Peter. 
Say that one again. I said, what else do you want to tell us, Peter? Well, how, how much how much longer we got here? We go on for hours. Really? We got it's all to you. These guys are being uber quiet this week. There hasn't even been a conversation about unicorns and bacon or anything in the Just put a marketing guy on a technical call. It's always the the worst thing to ever do. I don't know why you keep thinking that I'm a good candidate for this call. Because you're a very nerdy marketing guy. I think part of it, Rachel, is it's, it's you know, the whole MetaCloud thing is still really far under the radar. Yeah. Um, You know, it's not. You know, it's I, I mean, it's not even the shiny nickel, right, that the Cisco teams are chasing down uh, right now out, out in the marketplace. So it, I think it's hard to ask the questions because, I, I mean, I know for me specifically, I know I, I think I've had a call, Peter, with you, with other members on our team to kind of talk through this. Yeah. And, you know, it's a, there's still a very, you know, small bowling pin type of customer that, that this really fits into. So I'll challenge uh, at least you on, as we're painting the picture right now, I yeah. should say. So, so I think I'd challenge you on that. I mean, um, uh, and and I'll, I'll tell you, coming out of Partner Summit, um, we announced the MetaCloud Bundle at Partner Summit to massive fanfare. Um, every one of our channel partners, including ones that I thought wouldn't even care, are so excited about what this is because they're recognizing that this is the biggest gap they have in their portfolio and one of the biggest opportunities they have in front of us. Um, you know, I go back to that stat that IDC said, Tom Bittman, um, he, he, there's a blog out there. In fact, Nick Earl just wrote a blog that's quite nice um, uh, as a response to Bittman's, um, uh, Bittman's claim. But 95% of private clouds fail. And the reason they fail is, you know, wrong team, wrong size, wrong operations, wrong model, because people are throwing, you know, the wrong architecture in front of these developers. And MetaCloud was designed specifically to solve um, for for that that play, uh, and you know many of the partners that are out there, they've felt fallen victim where they you know they, they took word for word what a technology vendor had told them, and they went and implemented that in a developer centric model, and you know realistically it, it it didn't work. So we're solving for a lot of what uh, what is there. I'll also tell you, and I won't give you the exact number. Um, because I, I probably shouldn't have this information, but you know, one of the biggest competitors to MetaCloud is uh, is a company called Mirantis. Mirantis, um, uh, basically, they are the fastest growing and one of the largest OpenStack um, uh, services companies out there. And I can tell you, the revenue they're making on just software alone is in the seven figures per week. When you when you add all of that together tie in the, the hardware assets that would go along with what we're doing from a meta cloud, you know, you're talking about a business that's anywhere from, you know, a few hundred to, a, a, you know, almost a billion dollars quickly if we're able to get to the scale and the drive that we are. The reason why I think, and to your point, that it's not the shiny nickel inside of, um, in, in, inside of some groups yet is people are still learning about what this is and what the opportunity is, especially in our channels. But when you get to the guys that have been in the trenches trying to solve for this now for five years, and they've been trying to solve for it with the wrong architecture, they're the ones that are the most excited about it. And that, that's, I think, why we, we, we chose to, to do this at Partner Summit. Um, and you know, back to that, that first statement I made, they jumped at it like crazy because of the fact that this is a huge opportunity for them to solve an immediate need that they see in the customer base that I don't think many of us see because we're too busy talking to a, 
IT guy or a CIO, but when you get down into the line of business and developer front, MetaCloud is super, super relevant for, for, for that type of a type of an engagement. And I would tell you for, for those on the, on the call or listening to the podcast, you know, the good news is MetaCloud is all OpenStack. The team is actively engaged in all of the OpenStack uh, projects. You can connect through them there. Um, you know, that's where you get Sean Lynch or, or, or uh, Nikki Acosta or um, uh, Scott Sanchez active members in that community, they can engage and talk a lot about what's going on with, with, with MetaCloud now. Um, and, you know, it's, it's code. So you can get engaged very quickly on this stuff. And it's, it's making what historically was expensive or complex or hard far more approachable for a lot of businesses out there. And, and, and you know, to draw parallel to a couple of the other integrated businesses um, inside of Cisco, you know, we, we did we did the big data on UCS that went from a concept to a fairly substantial business. Why? Because we built a solution around it and delivered it. Or Kim, in your world, the BE6K, right? How do you take something that's hard like uh, communication software um, and turn it into a channel-friendly product? You you uh, you integrate it on hardware and deliver it with a, with a services model. Both of these, whether it's the big data Hadoop product or the the BE product. You know, they weren't the they weren't the shiny nickel either when they first started, but they've turned into a sizable business from an expansion perspective in the channel um, and and in, inside customers in a very short period of time. And we're hoping to do the same thing with MetaCloud. That's a lot of nickels. Yeah, you add up a bunch of nickels, you got a good chunk of cash. <laughs> So you buy that? What yeah, I do. I, I, yeah, I do. And, 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 and I apologize. My, my, it wasn't a derogatory that there wasn't an opportunity. <laughs> I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I, yeah. you know, and I just had this discussion with somebody yesterday at Cisco is I think the, the, the reason, I, I think the reason why it's, you know, it's, it's challenging right now is, you know, even, even as you mentioned with B6K and others, those are still very uh, sheet metal oriented sales that the Cisco account teams know how to forecast and put together. And yeah. this, this, this kind of really is a, I'm not going to use the word paradigm, but this is a, just a completely, it's a radically different model. And I, I, I think that's the hurdle is bridging that gap between, how you forecast something that's sheet metal, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars that I'm going to take a PO on Friday versus uh, it's it's a recurring service, uh, you know, that's that's built over time. And oh, by the way, it, you know, much like WebEx, right? I mean, if you look at WebEx and how WebEx really kind of grabbed hold, it took years for the Cisco sales team, and there's still a lot of WebEx people ingrained into the collaboration teams. Yeah. I think driving that business. So that's no, that was my point. Is I think it's the selling model that we're we're faced with that's that's creating the shiny nickel because it doesn't look like a nickel to these guys. Yeah. No, I know. And and I just took the opportunity to to, to you know it was, it was a great way to, to to get the discussion out there. And I think you know what it what it shows is there is going to be a little bit of change in thinking both in the channel and and with the sales folks and and how we operate. And I think you know the business moving forward, especially when it relates to cloud, we can't pretend that we have all the answers. Um, and we're going to take a look at these things. We're going to find some of these shiny nickels, and, and they're going to take time to incubate. But I think when we do, and when we go to market with them, 
they're going to be pretty exciting because they, they represent a, a huge new opportunity that is in many ways net new for Cisco and net new for our partner ecosystem. Things that we historically haven't jointly gone after. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, I'd rather grow the pie in total versus just get more of the existing pie. Do we have any um, partner enablement videos or other training materials ready yet available um, that I can share? Yeah, you know, there's a bunch of blogs that have started to come out. Again, I'd, I'd um, point you to some of the stuff Sanchez is doing. Um, there's also, there's a whole set of videos of OpenStack at Cisco um, where MetaCloud and InterCloud and our developer play and all these other things are, are popping up. So you can get those, I believe, online through the Cisco communities. All right, I will try and track those down and put those in the blog post. All right, we are at the close of our nice little time here. And well, I, hope, I, I hope this has been helpful, Kim, I, and I definitely appreciate the dialogue for those of you that uh, that ask questions. Always always more fun to, to field questions than to, to just give a spiel. I would agree, and I appreciate everybody's participation, either verbally or through their keyboards. I'll do my little closing spiel. Spiel. This has been episode 17 of season two of Cisco Champions Radio. I want to thank everybody for joining and giving a good conversation with Mr. Ulander. Uh, look for this episode and other fabulous episodes on iTunes and blogs.cisco.com. I'm Kim Austin, and I've played it part of today's moderator. Tune in next week, and in the meantime, see you in the Twitterverse. Over and out for now. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.